So, <clears throat> this morning is a bit of an experiment. It's an experimental sermon. I really called it a meditation because uh, I want to share with you part of this particular psalm, uh, Psalm 85, and kind of my journey with the psalm. Now, I'm going to play you a clip. Um, let's see. This is an experiment. Could we advance the slide to the next slide and the next slide? Okay. I'm interested in verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Okay. Now the slides can go back to the beginning of, the, of that psalm. I, I went to school uh, as an undergraduate uh, to a school in Texas. Uh, it was called Abilene Christian College in Abilene. It's now a university. And yes, it's the city that George Hamilton IV sang the song about, you know. Abilene, Abilene, prettiest town that I've ever seen. Remember? Women there don't treat you mean in Abilene. That was the place. <clears throat> I spent four years there. I had a wonderful time. <clears throat> you know I'm from Meaford, but because of the church connection, uh, Disciples of Christ, Church of Christ, the best school was that one at the time in Texas. And uh, I sang in a choir when I was there. The last year I was there, I sang in this wonderful choir. And sometimes I think, really, I went to Texas to sing in the choir because it had quite an impact on me. A group of university students sang together every week, and we did this various programs. And in the spring of the year, <clears throat> we went to uh, Dallas to a choral festival, and there were ten choirs together met in this huge church. And there was a director whose name was Bev Henson from Texas Christian University. He was the director for the weekend. And one of the songs that we sang and which we learned was called Mercy and Truth. And it's, it is this verse set to music uh, according to the King James Version. So I have a, an audio clip from that, uh, from that um, performance that I want to share with you, please. So it's the... Uh, Thank you. 
That's the clip from the song. The video the, the, is not as clear as I would like, but it's just that verse, isn't it? And the verse following, so it wasn't that difficult. But about 350 university students singing together this song, and it has stayed with me. The, the visual image of mercy and truth meeting, and then righteousness and, and peace kissing each other, it's quite an image. And it stayed with me all this time. And I can easily recall that music. And so my meditation this morning really comes out of that particular experience. And I want to look at this, this uh, psalm briefly. And then I want to take you through a number of uh, verses that resonate with this particular text. Okay. Now we can, bring, we can bring back the text, please, uh, just here, thank you. So, uh, shall I read and briefly explain, or would you like to read with me? <laughs> All the hands went up. <clears throat> okay. Now there's a title, To the Chief Musician, a psalm for the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah were professional musicians who served in the temple in Jerusalem. So this is a musical note for them. It's not actually part of the song. And it's the King James Version. <clears throat> now, I must admit, I, like I grew up in the King James Version, so I know it pretty well. And uh, the Bible that's in your pews is, in fact, a grandchild of the King James Version, which is one of the most significant books ever published for, in terms of the English language, right? We, we learned the English language from this translation of the Bible. Um, but we won't read it too much anymore because it's, the words are difficult to understand and the translation's 400 years old. But it has a particular beauty. Some passages like 1 Corinthians 13, uh, they haven't been equaled yet in any translation. Or the 23rd Psalm, as a matter of fact. First of all, in the first three verses, there's kind of a... a a look back at what has happened. So uh, I'm just going to check my outline. It reads this way. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thy anger. Now, if we could just stay on that slide for a moment, please. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob, usually understood to be the end of the exile when Judeans returned home to Judah from Babylonia. They'd been, they had been there for 50, 60, 70 years. And the understanding was that the people had been taken away because they had, uh, because they had sinned against the Lord. And it was a, a, a kind of a punishment that they were taken away. And so the psalm begins, you've forgiven all that, we've moved beyond that, and you've brought your people back. Okay, the next slide, please. And then in verses 4 through 7, <clears throat> there's a complaint or a lament. And in the book of Psalms, there are genres types of psalms. Some are, some are hymns of praise. Uh, some are 
complaints. The biggest category, by the way, in the book of Psalms, biggest category of type of song is the individual's psalm of complaint. The person is ill, something has happened, and the person has come to worship and, and voices that complaint. But then there are also community complaints or laments. And this is one of the community, as you've guessed already. So um, here is the complaint. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. So there's a continuing feeling that perhaps uh, the punishment, the, the uh, distress that they've been through is not entirely over. And so there's the prayer that God would turn completely away from his ang anger toward them. And then in the last section of the psalm, we have a proclamation of good news. So there are these three sections to the psalm. And here, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Perhaps this is a prophet. Uh, uh, this is an individual uh, at the temple and in, in worship at the sanctuary. And this individual speaks. A priest or a prophet. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. That is to his people. For he will speak peace to his people, unto his people, and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation, that is his deliverance, is nigh. Nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Which I take it to mean that there's been a special moment. That something has happened. And it's good news. These are good things, aren't they? And these are the attributes of God or the virtues of God, aren't they? Mercy, truth, righteousness, and peace. Now, <clears throat> um, mercy is compassion. Uh, truth, we understand what truth is. Uh, righteousness, uh, doing the right thing, being in the right way. And then uh, peace which uh, we know the word shalom, that's one Hebrew word we, we know. And shalom refers to kind of a complete sense of well-being. If you're completely well, if everything is well with you, then this is the word shalom. So these things have come together in this moment. And then it continues, please, next slide. Truth shall spring out of the earth. God loves poetry, you know. God loves poetry. Uh, the King James Version was published a long time ago. When you read it, if you have read it, I'm sure many of you have, it was not set up as poetry. That took a long time to recognize that. All your modern translations of the Bible, this will be set up as poetry. The prophets are full of poetry because God loves poetry. And these, these um, poetry, the basic principle of poetry in Hebrew is statement and restatement. So parallel lines. So there will be a statement and then the second line will repeat the same thought or a, a contrary thought, so contrast, 
or the second line will advance the thought of the first line in some way. Here we have parallels, don't we? Truth shall spring up out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. This would be good, wouldn't it, if this happened? Truth will spring up, it's going to grow right up out of the ground. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase, which would mean good crops and good times. And then finally, righteousness shall go before him, before the Lord, and he shall set us and shall set us in the way of his steps. So this is Psalm 85 with that 10th uh, uh, verse highlighted. Now, I don't preach every Sunday, uh, but I think every Sunday. So, uh, like I'm thinking of something for perhaps weeks and months. And so, so I've been thinking about this. And as I was thinking about these four attributes of God gathered together, I thought about the 14th verse of the Gospel of John. And in the 14th verse of the Gospel of John, uh, if I can just I'll bring it up here. There's something that happens here that came to mind as I thought about that verse in the psalm. Um, John is talking about the incarnation and, and, and the Word coming to live with us. So John says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Really the word that he uses is the word for tenting for those of you who are campers. It tented among us, like the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the great tent that went through the wilderness. So Jesus came, the word, and tented among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth means that truth and grace came together in the person of Jesus Christ. And there's an allusion here to Moses coming down from the mountain after he had got the tablets for the second time. And he asked that the Lord should show him his glory. And the text said that uh, what Moses saw was God's Steadfast love and faithfulness, which if we move from Hebrew into Greek, will give us the grace and truth that uh, filled Jesus Christ on this earth. It's quite an amazing thing, the union of, of uh, grace and truth, peace and so on in the person of Jesus. Now, later on in the gospel, he'll, he'll say to his disciples, uh, you remain in me and I, I remain in you. This is in chapter 15. And there is a, a union then between Jesus, who is the word become flesh, and those he calls to himself. It's a, I would call it a, a mystical union of, of the disciple with the risen Lord. And that leads me on to my next in Christ the next slide in Christ 
This prepositional phrase appears 76 times in the New Testament. Almost exclusively, it's a phrase that Paul uses. Um, Peter has it, this occurs three times in 1 Peter. Otherwise, it's Paul all the time talking about in Christ. Did I have a, yes. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he or she is a new creation. Whoever is in Christ. Now, here are a few more verses in which that phrase occurs. These are all from Romans. Uh, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Later in the same chapter, 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And finally, a fourth, also in the end of chapter 8. Nor height, nor depth, nor, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the common understanding of that is that, way of understanding that is that there's a, a mystical union between the believer and Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And by mystical union, we're, we're thinking of a, a union that's beyond uh, the ability of words to express that we have become one with Christ, in Christ. And I was trying to think about how could we sort of experience this in some way. <clears throat> and guess what? The hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, came to my mind. And there's a place in that song where there is a moment in that song where the parts come together and, and in a striking sort of way. Um, fortunately, uh, from an early age, I, I, I learned music and I was able to sing the bass part of this particular song. And so every time we sing this song, I come to a point in the, so in the song where it hits me. That there is this moment, uh, this moment when everything comes together for everyone. Now, unfortunately, Joy is ill today, and she was going to sing these particular songs. Um, uh, she's ill, so you're stuck with me. Uh, but I have Nina to help me. So I have the words for the song, and please feel free to sing along. And there's a point that I want you to notice. I wish we had all four parts, you know, together here to, to, to catch all of it, but we're going to do the best we can. So uh, you can sing it uh, with me, many of you know it. And uh, we're not gonna pause the first time but I've put in, in italics where this happens in this song so you can experience 
So I'm not just telling you something, but you can experience it. Okay. sacred head now wounded with grief and shame weighed down now scornfully surrounded with thorns thine only crown how art thou pale with anguish with Scorn. How does that visage language, which once was bright as morn? <clears throat> Did you notice something? Should we do that line again? Hmm. Which, which line? Second uh, line? How, how art thou pale? Well, let's start with the second line. Now, scornfully, scornfully surround. Now, scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. How oh, art thou pale with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn? How does that visage languish which once was bright as morn and every time I sing that song we come to with anguish and it all comes together in a way that really I can't express however Nina has said has agreed that she will try to explain it to lay people, what's happening at that point in that song? This is a musical device called a suspension. This chord, this note does not belong in it. It's called a dissonance. So when it comes down here, See how much better it feels? That's a consonant sound. So composers use this device to draw out a word and to let you feel the little crunch there. And back in the day when this was written, it was very shocking to hear a non-chord note. So they're all relieved when it gets there. You'll also recognize this sound from Amen, which was traditionally sung at the end of a hymn. Finished. Thank you, Nina. You're welcome. Thank you. Exactly. <clears throat> I could understand that too. So that, thank you very much. I've sung it for how many years and really didn't know what was happening there. When we sing that song, we come to that point, we, we can experience a certain, something's happening, a certain experience of oneness with God, if I can put it that way. Now, this can occur in, in pop music, too. Uh, you hear some chord, something happen, and it, it just strikes you and kind of makes the song. Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman, there's a place where 
there's a chord change. And every time I hear it, I think, oh, wow. And the Beatles, that song of theirs, If I Fell, If I Fell in Love with You, it's, it, it, it's a, a duet. And there's a point where you, in that song that just hits you. They were pretty good musicians, too. And uh, here you notice the musician who gave us this uh, arrangement was J.S. Bach. He was a pretty good musician, too. Many of you listened to him. So I chose that to give us some sort of an experience to take away with us. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Bernard of Clairvaux was a 12th century uh, monk, theologian, uh, lived in a, a monastery in France, in uh, northeastern France, I think, and he was a Christian mystic. He's known, if you read, if you read an article about him, say in Wikipedia, there's all kinds of stuff about him. Uh, his church work and all that, but most important for me are the songs that he wrote, which, uh, which bring that oneness with Christ together in a practical sort of way. Um, he said <clears throat> that his life was a radical, radical experience with the love of Christ. Said his, his life was a daily encounter with the humanity of Christ, and that love for Christ is the first step to genuine prayer. I have a song that comes to mind when I think of, of the way he thought and wrote, and it's a song, Majestic Sweetness Sits Enthroned. And this too is a song which I've known since my youth. And I think of this, I think of this uh, uh, in relationship to, to uh, Clairvaux. And I have a song by Clairvaux, too, that I'm going to mention in a minute. So this is majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. <clears throat> and you may know the tune. I, I did write it down, I think. It's in the hymn book if you really want to look for it. <clears throat> it goes this way. Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. His head with radiant glories crowned, his lips with grace o'erflow. No mortal can with him compare among the sons of men. Fairer is he than all the fair who fill the heavenly train. Do you get that sort of loftiness that comes together? We're going to give you another chance because I was supposed to sing this with, uh, with Nina. So we're going to do it again. And many of you will know the tune, so please feel free to sing along. <clears throat> mm. 
Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. His head with radiant glories crowned, his lips with grace o'erflow. No mortal can with him compare among the sons of men. Fairer is he than all the fair who fill the heavenly train. Now that's quite amazing. Uh, that particular song. And I might have left the music over here. Did I leave a couple of more over here? Yes. <clears throat> um, Bernard of Clairvaux wrote these two songs too. In your hymnal, should you wish to uh, take a look, number 367 and 366. They are, <clears throat> Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, and Jesus, the very thought of thee. And I'll just sing the first verse of the last song I mentioned. <clears throat> Jesus, the very thought of thee, with sweetness fills my breast, but sweeter for thy face to see and in thy presence live. So he was a mystic, and he wrote about the union of Christ and his faithful. And I, I think about those songs. And if we could go to the next slide. <clears throat> um, which is the second last stop on my on my journey with you. I think of this slide, I think of this photo, when I think of that song, Majestic Sweetness, whenever we sing it. Now, this is in a cathedral in Metzgete, Georgia. When I was a graduate student, I was in Georgia and Armenia. I was in Armenia for a year, and I went to Georgia and met a scholar, a, a biblical scholar, who took me out to, outside of Tbilisi, the capital, to this town or so, which used to be the capital city of Georgia. And there was a cathedral there. And uh, I didn't have that much experience with cathedrals. Some of you have been to St. James in Toronto or you've been to cathedrals in Europe or someplace. They're always, usually immense. This was not such a large building, such a large structure. But when we went in the door, when we went in the door and you look down towards the front, this was above the altar. And it's this huge fresco of the seated enthroned Christ. And it made it quite an impact upon me uh, because I hadn't seen that before. And so when I think of majestic sweetness sits enthroned, I think of, I think of uh, the Lord, the risen Lord, on throne according to 
this particular photo. One more stop. One more stop. There's a text in Colossians, chapter 3. Now, I spoke about Paul's phrase, in Christ. But what Paul says in Colossians, the beginning of chapter 3, is, is an astounding uh, use of words to portray the relationship of the Christian with the Lord. He says to them, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's that last phrase. You knew I was going to zero in on the last phrase. Your lives are hidden with Christ in God. Uh, you are protected. You are taken care of. You are, are, are forever there in the arms of God, if we could put it that way. And so I want to leave that truth with you at the end of my remarks in this, in this meditation on Psalm 85 verse 10, where we begin with the attributes of God, righteousness and so on, together. And then the Lord in whom grace and truth meet. And then the union of ourselves with Christ in the phrase, in Christ. And then our hiddenness, our protectedness in Christ as Paul describes it.